1: All right, welcome to the Ferris Show on television. First tonight, rule number one of having nuclear missile submarines is that you don't talk about having nuclear missile submarines. You don't talk about where they are or what they are doing. The exact location of America's Ohio-class nuclear submarines equipped with nuclear-tipped intercontinental ballistic missiles and cruise missiles are among some of the most closely guarded secrets in our military. Yet things are so combustible right now in the Middle East. U.S. Central Command felt the need to put out a tweet announcing an Ohio-class submarine was heading in. Here's how Gene Hackman described what's now sitting off Iran's coastline.
2: We're going over there
3: and bringing the most lethal killing machine ever devised.
4: One purpose alone. Keep our country
1: safe. That might sound dramatic, but clearly the Pentagon feels they need that ultimate option. Over the weekend, Iran's defense minister said, and we are quoting now, our advice to Americans is to immediately stop the war in Gaza and implement a ceasefire. Otherwise, they, meaning the United States, will be hit hard. The Ohio class sub hits back, well, harder. 20 Trident ballistic missiles, each with four thermonuclear warheads on top, or up to 154 Tomahawk cruise missiles that they can launch from deep beneath the sea. They sit under the water for months, hiding and waiting for that launch order. That's all that happens when something comes out. The sub adds to the B-1 bombers, 17,000-plus American military personnel, including two carrier strike groups, baton amphibious group as well, and dozens of fighter planes. But Iran continues, well, to not get the message. The Iranian proxy group Hezbollah just put out this video of their anti-ship weapons capable of firing from Lebanon's coast at American carriers. And Israel says it won't stop until they get their hostages back. They cut off Gaza City and have started tightening the noose on Hamas over the weekend, although it could be a long and bloody battle. It likely will. Secretary of State Antony Blinken, CIA Director William Burns, spent a sleepless weekend going from Tel Aviv to Turkey to half a dozen other Middle East capitals trying to really put the genie actually back in the bottle. They are both seasoned diplomats. They are also the two men who designed President Biden's engagement policy towards Iran and helped negotiate giving Iran $6 billion. So on this Monday evening, we have a nuclear submarine ready to launch its missiles and the same people who gave Iran $6 billion flying around the Middle East trying to make sure things don't go boom. Mark Kimmett is here, retired U.S. Army Brigadier General, among other accolades. It's good to see you, General. Thank you. Thank um, I've been doing this for a while, you've been doing it for longer. Have you ever seen the Pentagon telegraph where an Ohio-class sub is headed?
4: Uh, I haven't, but but I think it's important to clarify that the Ohio-class submarine, like all submarines, are nuclear-powered. However, the Ohio-class SSBNs are designed to carry only conventional weapons and not nuclear weapons. They carry Tomahawk missiles and, uh, of course, uh, torpedoes to defend themselves. But unless something's changed since I was wearing the uniform, those are strictly conventional weapons that they have inside of that uh, lo- those launch tubes.
1: Well, to, to be fair, you wouldn't need to position the Trident missiles next to Iran. You can sort of launch those from anywhere, anywhere around. What I what, what I'm trying to figure out is why send that message. What, what is the message being sent to the Iranians? Why give up? Stealth and sort of the opaqueness that the Pentagon and the Navy always want about where these boats are. What are they trying to telegraph to Iran?
4: Well, first of all, they remain extraordinarily stealthy. Uh, While you can say they're somewhere in the Persian Gulf or the Indian Ocean, you don't know where it is. The second thing I think, however, is very, very important, which is since October 10th, when he gave the speech, what I call the no-no speech, uh, what President Biden is trying to do is send a very clear message to those that would try to enter the war. Uh, he is trying to isolate this war between Gaza and Israel. What he's trying not to do uh, is allow Hezbollah, uh, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, uh, Iraqi militias, and candidly, other Iranian-backed proxies to get yeah.
1: into this war. All right. We've seen since that speech roughly 40 attacks on U.S. bases and, and U.S. interests throughout the Middle East by these Iranian militias. You obviously during your time in Iraq uh, fought against these Iranian-backed militias, right? They, they have the blood of about 1,000 U.S. troops on their hands from the IEDs and other devices they planted. I'm wondering what you make so far of only one Fairly minor response militarily by the United States to 40 plus attacks or about 40 attacks now by the Iranian proxies.
4: Yeah, it was very interesting to note that when Secretary Austin talked about the response to these attacks, that he said that these were separate and unique from what is happening in Gaza uh, and Israel. Uh, They're trying to isolate that fight as well. Uh, I was just coming back from Iraq two weeks ago when a couple of those attacks happened. uh, It is is by the grace of God, neither American diplomats nor American soldiers were killed. I think we'd see a very, very significant response and a very different response if any Americans or diplomats were killed as part of those attacks.
1: Wow, so you you were there during the attacks? I I don't know what of that you can share with us, but whatever it would be would be interesting in terms of what, what happens, what their capabilities are, the defenses that the Americans have.
4: Well, I don't want to share the defenses the Americans have. I think it's commonly known what type of uh, anti-drone, uh, anti-missile capabilities they have there. Uh, these Are there are sirens unique- that go
1: off? Just take us through what happens.
4: Uh, no, I won't take you through what's happened because okay. I think what we do is protect operational security.
1: OK, no, no, fair, fair enough. I appreciate that. Um, let me play for you. Speaking of sort of keeping these two things separate, obviously what's happening on the ground in Israel has changed a lot over the weekend. The Israelis still feel they have tactical momentum. Let me play for you the soundbite from the IDF spokesperson a little bit earlier on with Connell.
5: We are nowhere near a significant degradation of uh, Hamas capabilities. We're making progress, and that's good, and many of the capacities have been dealt with, but... There is significant fighting going on.
1: All right. Let's be fair to the administration here. How much do you see of Blinken and Burns flying around the Middle East as giving the Israelis time? Which if you're a general who has uh, the offensive momentum right now, the best thing that you can get is time to continue operations, right?
4: Yeah, but uh, I think if you also listen to Jonathan Conricus, the spokesman, he will tell you that they need the time. But if they can buy a few days by blinking and burns in the region, that's not going to make a bit of difference. Uh, Israel knows that this is gonna be a long war. Uh, look how long Fallujah took, nine, nine weeks, plus Mosul took nine months, Aleppo is still fighting. So uh, the time they need is enough time for Hamas to release the hostages, and then everything becomes a new game once those hostages are released. However, until those hostages are released, Netanyahu has been very clear. He will continue
1: yeah. the ground fight and he'll continue the air fight. Yeah, no, they've, they've been crystal clear uh, about that. And, and that you, you think, how do you tell the, the families of the hostages? Um, we have some on tomorrow. How do you tell them, hey, we're, we're, not gonna, we're not gonna keep fighting. There's a ceasefire while your loved ones are still inside Gaza. General, we appreciate it. Thank you, we're glad you made it back safe, sir. Thank you. Yeah. Today, fake blood still stains the gates outside the White House. Over the weekend, a pro-Hamas march ended at the White House, where protesters tried to break in and break through the gates. They called for the end of Israel. They demanded more terrorist attacks against Jews. All the things, sadly, that we've come to expect over the past few weeks. And of course, everybody has the right to free speech, full stop. But violence and breaking into buildings are different things. There's laws against that. But despite the destruction at the White House and around Lafayette Park, as you can see, sticking flagpoles through the White House fence, not one person got arrested. Charles Marino knows a lot about protecting the White House. He protected three different presidents during his decades with the Secret Service and joins us now, sir. Um, It's good to see you. Thank you. Are you surprised nobody got arrested?
6: No, it's not that surprising. Look, you had a very precarious, volatile situation uh, where the Secret Service needed to focus on the inside of the fencing to secure the White House proper. You had the US Park Police and Metropolitan Police managing the crowd on the other side of the fence going towards Lafayette Square. So it doesn't surprise me that no action was taken right then and there. I think we'll see some action taken, uh, in the weeks following, to identify some of these folks that went above and beyond peaceful demonstration. But I think they made the right call uh, mm. in, that, in that situation.
1: I guess it's confounding to me because I think if I, even as somebody by myself, jumped up on the White House fence and started shaking it back and forth, um, I'd get a, a pretty solid tackle from uh, a lot of the Secret yeah. Service uniform division that's out, outside. Uh, I'm just wondering who makes the decision, who decides, OK, uh, we're going to just stand back and, and protect the fence line versus we're going to start throwing tear gas and not allow this kind of behavior to happen. Who who in the end makes that decision?
6: Yeah, well, let's remember the numbers were in nobody's favor on law enforcement that day. Normal Saturday staffing is not going to achieve The large number of people estimated to be 30,000 that congregated within Lafayette Square and along the White House fence line. So uh, there was a process in place, a decision making process. Uh, You can see some of those videos. Uh, It became quite a precarious situation, as I describe it. You saw some movement in the fencing. Ultimately, they were able to peacefully disperse the crowd. Um, but law enforcement was not in the best of situations. I think they're going to go back, review. That permit was authorized for up to 100000 When was it granted? Why was it granted? Was that the right decision? And was there the level of coordination prior to that decision being made that needed to be taken to ensure that everybody was set up for success?
1: Yeah, for- Forgive me, but it just... It seems as though to have knowledge that that many people are coming and then not to be ready for, for this to happen seems uh, curious. I mean, I I, I can't quite figure yeah. it out. And I mean, you you don't have to talk about operational security, but uh, from having been on the White House grounds, I know there's an awful lot of tear gas and other things sitting in, in those guard shacks that, that could have been deployed and, and wasn't. But I'm wondering when you see these these marches now that are popping up around the country, especially in Washington and especially around uh, the Capitol and now outside the White House, do we have any intel on who's organizing these things, on whether there are foreign actors and agitators trying uh, to push this narrative? I don't. I can't get. I can't get fifty people to show up for a free donut, much less fifty thousand.
6: Yeah, my understanding is this permit was filed under the March of Palestine. I don't understand. Uh, you know, who exactly was in charge of this group? In other words, who put their names forth as sponsors of this group, what their affiliations were or weren't. I would hope that the issuing uh, authority, the National Park Service, uh, would have vetted that information to find out exactly who they are. But of course, there's a lot of social media monitoring huh. uh, on the part of law enforcement to determine exactly how many people plan on showing up. Uh, And what the intentions are. And sometimes that's the cause for violence.
1: I I guess, but what I'm hearing from you is basically you're saying that the Secret Service and Park Police were too outnumbered, forgive me for saying this, but to do their job.
6: Well, I think, look, nothing happened to the White House. Uh, It didn't put the Secret Service in the best of positions regarding numbers. I think you saw everybody shrink back to their overall statutory responsibilities. The Secret Service went on the inside of the fence line. They were prepared to do what they needed to do. Even though a protectee, the president and the first lady were in Rehoboth, Delaware, they were still poised to protect the building and the grounds Uh. and the people that were inside. You saw the park police take over what their statutory responsibilities are from the outside of the fence line. Along yeah, I, with I, I
1: guess I have a lot of respect for the Secret Service. I always have. Um, I, I, was, I was attacked in Lafayette Park once during one of the, these things, so I understand how I combustible that. they are. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I guess just in, I, I'll give you the last word here, but I got we got about 30 seconds. You'd think that after January 6th, um, that when there were these kinds of things happening, People pay attention. I mean, we've seen the protective fencing go up around the Capitol. We've seen enormous mobilization um, for a lot less than up to a hundred thousand people marching for something that comes really close to supporting terrorism.
6: Look, did I like what I saw? No. Should the numbers okay. have been greater? Yes. Should there have been probably a lot more coordination that went into this? If the permit is, in fact, going to be granted by the National Park Service for up to 100,000 people, the answer is a resounding yes, Leland. I agree with you 100 percent. And they're going to have to work on this. What we got away with, and luckily so, and we shouldn't have to depend on luck here, um, nothing catastrophic happened here. This could have gone a lot of different ways. I'm glad that it didn't. I'm glad that nothing happened to the physical white house i'm glad that no officers were injured or hurt uh you know and and look they're gonna have to go back and review this and make sure that they are prepared to match these levels of protests and decide whether or not they're going to grant these permits although that in and of itself doesn't also guarantee that protesters don't show up the the same
1: the same levels of the levels of protest the the calls for violence the whipping up the crowd um, you you know you said it yourself. Yeah. You know, poor planning, and now and now we wait. We'll, we'll watch and see whether um, any of these people in the coming days are arrested. Um, obviously, uh, after after a different incident a few years ago, uh, there were um, hundreds of people hunted down based on pictures in social media and, and arrested as well. They should have been. So we'll we'll That's see right. how it go- goes. Charles, thank you very much. Uh, We want to invite you to subscribe to our internal uh, group here, War Notes. We'll put that up on the screen a little later. Coming up next, a wild day in court. Well, there it is. ReadWarnotes.com. Free subscription. And now we're back to a wild day in court for President Trump and company on the same day. New polls show his path to a second term. is his for the taking. Is being quiet. Trump's best defense. Bill O'Reilly with us next on that. And... Silence those phones one school district made students put away their cell phones. And shocker, good things followed. Why can't Common Sense Solutions catch on across
0: America? This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory... Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system.
3: The, the lead story the New York Times, something that got a lot of Democrats talking yesterday. A lot of Democrats. Voters in five battleground states favor Trump over Biden. Well, I had a lot of people calling me yesterday and texting me yesterday.
1: Well, that's morning Joe uh, digesting with his coffee some dismal poll numbers for President Biden. Here is the polling. All right. Uh, If we look at this New York Times Siena poll, uh, Nevada, Trump plus 11, Arizona, Trump plus five, Wisconsin, Biden plus two, Georgia, Trump plus six. Trump plus five in Michigan and plus four in Pennsylvania. Why are we focused on those states? Well, we'll go back here to the 2020 election results. These are all states that President Biden won, a la, as we would like to call them, the swing states, as we go through all of these. And we'll show you the electoral map. Uh, Once we take the swing states out, uh, it is a race uh, to an electoral college victory. Uh, We'll play another soundbite right now
2: the issue is not uh for him is is not uh political it's actuarial and you can see that in this poll i mean there's just a lot of concern about the age issue and uh and that is something that i think he needs to uh, ponder
1: all right you might say perhaps that we predicted president biden being in a lot of trouble and also some real questions among democrats about whether he should run again all the way back in September. The real drama in the 2024 presidential election is going to be among Democrats. Almost daily now, it looks less likely that President Biden will be the Democratic nominee and more likely former President Trump will be the Republican nominee. All right, so as we sit here and look now at the electoral college map that we will bring back up for you, uh, these are the states that it comes down to. we bring in chris direwalt News nation uh, political editor uh, Chris Sunday morning, President Biden was having his cup of coffee. somebody brought him the New York Times, and he thought what
5: um, probably nothing he doesn't already know because his campaign is certainly doing a lot more polling even than the New York Times and Siena College. Uh, the campaign memo that the Democrat that the uh, democratic presidents. Campaign put out basically said, and it was ahead of this was, uh, last week, we expect a very close race. We expect this to be very challenging. Um, the Biden campaign and the president are in Washington and with political leaders around the country trying to prepare Democrats for the reality, which is it will be hard to beat Donald Trump uh, if he is a Republican nominee. Uh, In 2024, because Democrats have been living in a space where they thought Trump is easy to beat. Anybody can. Biden can beat Trump. And as soon as Trump's the Republican nominee, we're going to win. Then you see poll numbers like these and you say, "Okay, no, this no matter what, the simplest way I can put it is it will be very hard for Donald Trump to replicate his performance of 2016. It's going to be maybe even harder for Joe Biden to replicate Mm -hmm. his performance from 2020.
1: All right. So how much of this is additive, meaning Donald Trump gaining voters? How much of it is Joe Biden losing support? And I ask that because if you look at uh, whites, non-college educated whites and non-college educated non-whites, we'll start with non-college whites here, um, that they have significantly left Joe Biden. Right. Right. Okay. Which you could expect that based on the economy and where things went from 2020 to 2024. Then you look at non-whites. This is black and Latino voters. This is supposed to be President Biden's firewall. Uh, 72-26 in 2020, now 54-38. We go back to our electoral college map and we come back out here. Uh, Georgia makes Mm -hmm. a huge difference. Mm -hmm. Pennsylvania with Mm -hmm. African-Americans. Michigan with African-Americans. Wisconsin. Uh, Nevada with Hispanics. Arizona with Hispanics. What's going on here?
5: So we're going to have an election in Pennsylvania tomorrow. Uh, for their state Supreme Court. And they have a partisan election system for their courts in Pennsylvania. And what's on the ballot in Pennsylvania? A Republican judge talking about judicial overreach, which is a strong nod to the 2020 election and a lot of Republican anger about what uh, decisions the court rendered on ballot access and other things around COVID. What are Democrats talking about? They're talking about abortion. Uh, and that's on the ballot, by the way, in Ohio tomorrow. We're going to get to see a core sample, not about how the persuadable voters are going to go, but we're going to get to see a core sample about how energized and activated the party's bases are. I think the way to look at this NBC poll, and it is, it's a good poll, but it is early in the process, number one. And number two, this is a poll that doesn't show Donald Trump strong. It shows Joe Biden weak. Very weak, precipitously weak. Um, I don't know the psychology of David Axelrod coming out and briefing against the vice president uh, that he served with at the White House.
1: I, I, I don't want to unpack that. Uh, and lingering scars. Well, and, and his old boss, yeah. Barack Obama, just knifed yeah, Joe Biden sand, in the back. Well,
5: the sandbagging Biden by going out and uh, undercutting Biden's message uh, of support for Israel was just. I'm not going to say that it was a a part of a a plan, but you can see the resentment there. You can see the discontent there. The reality for Democrats is there's no indication that Joe Biden is going to go away. I don't know what David Axelrod thinks that he's going to get. I I, I don't know what what he thinks he's going to get by bringing this fissure out into the public. But it seems very petty to me and very small. This is he's the incumbent president. If Joe Biden decides he doesn't want to run again, then he won't run again. But for now, there's no indication that he won't. And I don't understand why Axelrod wouldn't just say hail to the chief. Best of luck.
1: Maybe maybe we'll find out.
5: Yeah, there you go. When Michelle Obama steps in.
1: Yeah, wait for (laughs) it. It might happen. It might happen. Uh, All of this brings us to Donald Trump, who over time has shown an inability to simply be quiet and ride the high poll numbers. His rise in the poll numbers coincides with bad news for President Biden. You just heard that. And lots of other news blocking out Trump's latest musings. That ended today when he arrived at court in New York to testify in his civil fraud trial and outside, bash the judge, and prosecutor.
4: The trial is ridiculous. The numbers are much greater than on the financial statement, and we've already proven that. They said mar a worth $18 million. Mar-a-Lago's worth anywhere from probably 50 to 100 times more than that. And it's a terrible, terrible thing. These are political operatives that I'm going to be dealing with right now.
1: The civil fraud trial, of course, may not change things, but his criminal conviction would. That same New York Times, Sienna Poll, shows Trump dropping 10 points if he were convicted. Bill O'Reilly here, host of the No Spin News. His latest book, Killing the Witches, The Horror of Salem, Massachusetts, is with us. Bill, always fun. Do you believe, uh, do you agree, I should say, with Chris Steierwald, who just said that this is not Trump's being strong in the poll, it's Joe Biden being weak?
2: Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, But it really doesn't matter because you'd have to be a complete moron to vote for uh, Joe Biden again. And I I don't know if it it could be Casper the friendly ghost running against him. Guy's the second worst president in the history of this republic. He's awful. There isn't anything that you can point to that he does well. Nothing. And his own party is turning on him. As you rightly pointed out, with Barack Obama, who really is the leader of the Democratic Party. All right, Joe Biden isn't the leader of anything. All right, Barack Obama is more influenced by far than uh, Joe Biden does. Mm -hmm. So the message that um, the former president uh, Obama sent to Joe Biden was, "Don't run." And Axel, I, I I I
1: I want to get you though to this issue of of Trump now in court. When, Donald, when people Correct don't have a Trumpy chance report. to sort of see Donald Trump around when he's not talking much, his poll numbers go up. When there's other news, it's good for him, but he can't not make himself the center of the attention. I'm wondering how much if, if this is if he just stepped back and didn't say anything, didn't hold the press conferences before court, if he might be able to hold on to these high numbers?
2: Well, I think he, he was smart to uh, excoriate the New York City situation because that's outrageous. The only reason this is going on is because Letitia James, the attorney general of New York, who sat in that courtroom all day today, when was the last time you saw an attorney general do that? Never. She wants to be governor. And that's why she's doing it. She wants to run on uh, getting Trump. She already said it. And yeah, she, she already tried ran. to she already run for governor the last time around. Yeah. Yeah, and she couldn't get any traction. This is her play to replace Kathy Hochul as governor of New York. That's what she's doing. So Trump is smart because he knows he's gonna get convicted. Everybody knows that between the system in New York and the judge, they're gonna convict Trump of fraud, of civil fraud, they are. Do you think Americans care about that? They don't. They don't care one whit about it. So Trump uses this obvious Injustice using the court system to try to take him off as a political candidate. So he's smart. Now, on the other stuff, he should tone it down. He, did, he issued a great statement about Ukraine over the weekend. Did you catch that, Leland? Did you see that? I did not. Okay. You see? So Zelensky goes on to meet the press and says, yep. I want Trump to come over to Ukraine. And Trump issues a statement and says, no, that would be inappropriate. The Biden administration is dealing with it, and I'm not going to interfere. That was an excellent statement. You didn't hear a word of that in the corrupt media. So if Trump would just stay on that tone, then he would be stronger.
1: You just said it. you just said if. Well, why wouldn't he?
2: because he can't control himself, he can't, <laughs> yeah. he's incapable. Didn't you read my book, The United States of Trump? I mean, my God, I, I don't know what I have to do. I guess I have to go door to door in this country with 350 oh, million right, copies right, wait, wait, hold and it, Bill, Bill, are you, compl- are, you
1: complaining, are you complaining about your book sales? You
2: always tell me how good they are. The, it's an excellent book, but you didn't read it, and if you had, you'd know that Donald Trump cannot control himself. He can't. Now, that doesn't mean he can't govern, because he governed pretty well by inflation measure, by safety in the world measure, by all of that. He governed pretty well. Got that COVID vaccine up and running very quickly. All right. But if you criticize Trump, he is incapable of not lashing out. And I tell you why. I bring you right in. He's not going to change. Now, that could sink him. Absolutely could sink him if he would be more diplomatic. Last time I talked to Trump, I don't know, maybe two months ago, I said, be Winston Churchill. I mean, the English people turned on Churchill, booted him out as PM after World War II, after all he did for them. Yeah. Churchill didn't lash. Churchill bided his time and then won, came back. And I said, yeah. read what happened to Churchill and do that. But again, if you lash out at Trump, he's gonna come back at you.
1: Yeah, and Churchill is is still lionized to this day. It's 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 a great point. Bill, it's always good to see you, thank you. Coming up next, eye in the sky, this horrific crime would not have been caught on camera, and the thug may not have been caught if a group of citizens had not put up surveillance cameras. What are normal folks to do when there aren't cops on patrol? In St. Louis, a teenager, for no apparent reason, tried to snatch a baby out of her mother's arms while crossing the street. But for the quick-thinking and brave father, as you can tell there, who fought the attacker off, who knows what would have happened to the baby, even if the baby had fallen on the sidewalk, it would have been awful. The attacker Anthony McGee, facing multiple charges, including first-degree assault, first-degree kidnapping, resisting arrest. Police say trying to grab the baby was just one stop in a long crime spree over the weekend, including choking an 82-year-old woman and breaking her arm. No surprise, he also faces charges from earlier this month, including spitting on a police officer, but somehow Anthony was out on the street. What's most surprising and most important about the video you're watching is that it wasn't captured by an individual business or by the police. It was captured by a network of neighborhood watch cameras. A group of local businesses in St. Louis realized the police couldn't or wouldn't stop crime. So they literally began policing the area themselves. Jim White, executive director of the Central West End Neighborhood Security Initiative, former St. Louis police detective for 20-plus years with St. Louis PD. Uh, good to see you, Jim. Thank you. Uh, what, what good do – what's sort of the, the idea behind these cameras, and how are they working?
7: Well, that was a great intro. Uh, the police can't be everywhere all the time, and um, – St. Louis is just like many cities across the country experiencing uh, a a very high lack of uh, resources. So back in 2014, we started uh, putting up security cameras uh, to be at places when the police couldn't.
1: Yeah, I'm looking at this, so 275 surveillance cameras, 438 different views, 300 plus thousand for cameras, 75,000 annually for internet uh, connections. I think it's important, uh, you and I are both from St. Louis, but to talk about um, where this is, right? Because, you know, obviously St. Louis has become a very dangerous city. Uh, some would say the most dangerous in the country, but central West end is this sort of beautiful business district with shops and restaurants and apartments and everything else. It was sort of this gem inside of, of St. Louis. Uh, it, it it too had gotten dangerous. I get, I get catching all these crimes on video, but do they do anything? Do the police actually do anything once you give them this video?
7: Uh, In most cases, yes. Uh, Sometimes we have to uh, continue to remind the police detectives about following up on some things. But again, uh, Central West End is one of the most densely populated neighborhoods in the city of St. Louis. And uh, it is exactly what you said. It's a it's a very desired, sought after place to live, but hmm. it's also a target rich environment for criminals. And so, um, I think the better we can do our job, the more successful the police department will be in capturing uh, criminals.
1: What do you make of of the neighborhood of the neighborhood itself and the businesses there having to get together to do this? It's got to be a pretty awful feeling. Um, And, look, I live in Washington, D.C., so I know it as well That to to try to have to get together and do this.
7: Uh, It's it's not just businesses. It's also uh, property owners, homeowners and uh, uh, property owners. Uh, We have two different types of taxing districts in the Central West End. We have special business districts, and we have community improvement districts, uh, special business districts that collect their tax uh, revenue. 100% Hundred percent of that goes to safety and security, and some of them have been around wow. for 30, 30 plus years. So, the residents, the property owners, and businesses are making a substantial financial contribution to their own mm. uh, safety and security.
1: Yeah, all, all that in addition to paying their taxes that are supposed to pay for the pay for the police. Uh, Jim, we got to we got to run, but thank you very much. We appreciate it. It's, um, really, hey, it's a piece. Thank desperate, you very much. Desperate times call for desperate measures, right? Coming up next. A- absolutely. The school district, yeah, the school district that banned cell phones and got common sense results, higher test scores, less bullying. How on earth is taking away kids cell phones controversial? All right, turns out the cell phones capturing vicious fights at America's high schools are not only recording fights, but maybe causing them as well. The school district in Orlando, Florida, Orange County, banned cell phones, full stop. Can't have them. Can't see them on campus. That's it. And everything got better. Chris is here. I don't know. You got, you got kids. They have cell phones in class. Not only, unwittingly, uh, your team
3: booked the perfect guest for this conversation. Mm. Uh, not only is it something that how, how, I have whoa. looked at for a Why long time. Why do you think time. it was
1: unknowing? Why do you think it was unknowing? We plan these things because out they have
3: Because no, they have no idea. I know your producers. They have no idea that one of my kids goes to a school, actually two, that do exactly this. When they go into school, they have these little pouches that they have to put their phone in. And what is interesting are the stories. <laughs> I wonder if their principal's watching right now. Um, she's a she's a friend of mine and my wife. Um, they have found ways to break through the bag to get the phone back during the school day. But I'll tell you what, I think we just started it this semester. I think it is going to make a difference of focus. Uh, the distractions in class are real. Um, will it make everything better? Uh, I, I don't know, but I'll tell you one thing. One of my pet peeves as a journalist, but really as a parent and a human being, I despise the kids. And I've, you know, we never say we don't like kids, right? I despise the kids who decide to take video of kids getting their ass kicked. I despise them, and I think that their parents should be uh, put through a shame gauntlet because they exhibit all the worst character plays, worse than the people in the fight, in my opinion. Um, so, oh, hold on,
1: hold on, hold on, hold on. I, like I was with you. I, I was uh, hold on. I Big was fan. with you up until that. But to be fa- to be fair though, I mean, if I yeah. was getting beat up, the next best thing, and that happened you know, in school to me, um, the next best thing is somebody videotaping it, hopefully so that there's proof that I didn't do anything wrong. This other guy did. And maybe if any of these schools had a little bit of of chutzpah and any of these principals had a backbone, mm-hmm. they would take that video and they would use it to discipline the kids who were the aggressors and wouldn't just do the well, you all both of you all are in trouble. You were both fighting kind of thing.
3: Right. Separate issue. Um, the kids who are in the fight, fighting is wrong. I get it. I also think sometimes it's necessary. Um, maybe there's a big beef. Uh, maybe the kid was getting bullied and it was time uh, to punch that kid mm-hmm. in the face and hope that it stops because they pick an easier target. If it's a concerned citizen taking the video, I'm with you. But they're not. All, all too often you hear them. Oh, yeah, boy. Go get him. Yeah, boy. And all this BS that they're saying where if they really wanted to help, put the phone down and go break up the fight. But they don't want to do no. that. They're cowards and they just want to benefit from it. And it's a big part of that culture, that phone culture. And I mm. love taking them away. I love it. Now, I'll give you the argument against it, by the way. You want to know the argument against taking the kids away? Nominally, it is. Oh, well, then I can't get in contact with my kid. You know where your kid is. The kids in school. <laughs> Here's it's what right. the real argument is. The parents don't want to deal with the drama that these junky kids give us because of how addicted they are to the phones. But because it's all the kids, Chris, they can't Chris,
1: complain. They can't complain. Chris, I, just, I, I want you to mark this tape because this is how we're going to end the segment. You're right. We did pick the perfect <laughs> guest, unwittingly, for this segment. <laughs> I'll, see you, I'll see you tomorrow night. Have a great show, all right? Thanks for letting me vent. All right, there you go. Yeah. Uh, go all night. Uh, coming up next... We offer you hope, hope that all of the people supporting Hamas, well, not all of them, some of them, might just be dumb kids looking to
8: fit in. You agree to the following? You agree that every Jew, Christian, and non-Muslim in the world must be slaughtered? I don't know about that one. You endorse making homosexuality punishable by jail or death? (laughs)
1: a lot of the kids marching in parades calling for another holocaust or wiping out israel aren't so much pro-terrorist as they are just dumb well or maybe it's a little bit of both mikey greenblatt turned the tables on hamas supporters by actually telling them what hamas supports take a listen
8: a quick petition to help hamas free palestine uh, you're all in. Mm-hmm. All right. Oh yeah, you're in. Easy. I just have to read terms and conditions, just so okay. you know you know what you're signing. Okay. By supporting Hamas freeing Palestine, you agree to the following: you agree that every Jew, Christian, and non-Muslim in the world must be slaughtered. I don't know about that one. You endorse making homosexuality punishable by jail or death.
1: And Mikey is with us now. Was that the general response of everybody? Hey, yeah, nice work. Everybody sort of was surprised.
8: Yeah, yeah, everyone was on board once they heard the, you know, the buzzwords. And then once I flipped to the terms and agreements, they're, they're like, yeah, I actually don't think I agree with that, believe it or not.
1: Huh. Let me ask you this. what What is going on here? And you don't have to be a genius to even have a sort of cursory understanding that Hamas killed 1,400 Jews. Um, and I understand the talking point that it's about... Uh, trying to free Palestine and, and, and all the other talking points. But is there something about the human condition where people feel like they just want to be part of this? They're so interested in being part of a movement or diversity or equity or inclusion that they are willing to support a terrorist organization?
8: Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a trend. It's it's what it is. It's, it's, I don't think they understand that they're supporting a terrorist organization, right? They're... Mm. They're just jumping on the bandwagging. They're jumping on the trend. And, you know, the purpose of this video was kind of to hold the mirror to these people and say, OK, but what what is it? Let's let's dig a little deeper. What is this trend that you're jumping on? What does it mean? Yeah,
1: I have to give, I have to give you a lot of credit because, you know, there's so many people now who are going up and arguing with folks and trying to have a, an argument with them. And you found this sort of brilliant way to expose really. Um, what's going on. And to your point, 48% of Americans, 18 to 24, support Hamas uh, in the war with Israel, uh, which is pretty stunning. But this is maybe a little bit of a a twist on this, right? Young Americans uneducated on the Holocaust. 63% of young Americans unaware that 6 million Jews were killed in the Holocaust. 23% said the Holocaust was a myth or exaggerated. 11% Jews caused the Holocaust. That was from 2020. So you could think now that those numbers have gotten even worse with the amount of anti-Semitism and, and propaganda that is out there. Can you turn this around?
8: There, there's so much false news and propaganda on the internet now, it, more than ever. I mean, you even have AI generated videos. And so I think it's just so important to get out there, go beyond the internet and to show people in real life what these things are, you know, mm-hmm. and have these open dialogues with them. That's the only way to do it. Cause you could have all these conversations. You could Google, I can Google, you know, the sun, the, the earth is flat.
1: and. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps
5: in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the
1: right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by.